Father, we thank you this morning that we know that you are the way maker, that you are a miracle working God. God, in this morning, we just stand in awe of who you are. And humbled by the fact, God, that you allow us to stand in your presence. All because of Jesus, we can stand here holy and forgiven this morning. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace this morning. And we pray that as we hear your words spoken to us, God, I pray that our hearts would just be open to you. God, work in us. Do what you need to do in us. Tweak whatever you need to tweak inside our hearts, Lord, to make us more like you. God, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you for your, just for your presence that's here this morning. God, we love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. All right, guys, Luke chapter 15 is our scripture for today. Uh, the budget passed. Thank you very much. We will have church again next Sunday. Yay. We were going to have church next Sunday anyway, just maybe not without a budget. You know, I just want to thank our elders and our trustees for their faith the last several months. You know, um, back yonder when uh, uh, this thing first started and, and where obviously there was much fear, much among the society and you know you're watching the news and hearing the politicians and things and none of us knew exactly what was going to transpire but uh, one thing was clear from our elders and our trustees uh, they just said well, let's let's move forward by faith and let's do the best we can we had church the way the only way we could do it we opened up as soon as we could do it but uh, it was a good night when we had a meeting with our elder group and uh, it was decided unanimously, really not, there wasn't any real uh, discussion about it when uh, it was made uh, that, uh, it was made aware that the government was going to provide all these funds to help churches and businesses and things like that, you know, take this money from the government and keep all your employees on and uh, not a, this is not a statement against those that did take that, but our elders believe that we, we should not take that. That the Lord had taken care of us and He would take care of us. Amen. So, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't had to really lay anyone off or do anything. Our offerings have really been remarkable. I mean, I don't have an indicator with this shutdown thing that we've gone through. I mean, obviously the attendance shows it and and people are staying home still and all those kind of things. And uh, a few wear masks and, you know, we're washing our hands and doing all those things. And we're trying to take care of business. But, um, you know, our, our, our offerings have been really good. I mean, we don't even take up an offering anymore because that was back when they said that it might be on the dollars. Of course, now they said that's not the case. I guess pretty soon we may be able to start passing the hat again. But just, uh, we got those black boxes out there. You know, we've never really mentioned it. We've never really had, I, I know some places have had big campaigns and big, uh, you know, just really working hard to keep the offerings up. And we've had some general reminders, but we just believe that God's people are going to do what God wants. And we're, it's just in His hands. And I, I'm very thankful that our church responded like it has and we're still responding, and I'm here today, and you're here today, and I rejoice that you're here today. And if you're at home watching, I rejoice that you're there. 
and uh, hope you'll send lots of money today. <laughs> that was, I think that's called backdooring, isn't it? That's what that's called. All right. Luke chapter 15. Today is Father's Day, so we're going to talk about the waiting father today. Now, consider this. I want you to answer this question. What do Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Cosby, Ted Bundy, and Robert Lee Brewer have in common? They're sinners. Yep. And some have been indicted for sin. There's one fellow in there that has not yet been indicted for sin. <laughs> By sin, perhaps, but not legally. But Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Cosby, Ted Bundy, and Robert Lee Brewer, what do they have in common? 15 verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so I sat down and put down the worst people I could think of from the news recently and perhaps others. And I saw a show about Ted Bunny some time ago, so he's on my mind, I guess. But Harvey Weinstein in jail now. Jeffrey Epstein, no longer in jail. Bill Cosby in trouble in jail. Ted Bundy, he's no longer with us. And Lee Brewer still gets to walk around. But the one thing all these people have in common is this. Jesus would welcome them to the cafe and He would have dinner with them. That's the heart of the Father. Now, He's not condoning them. He's, definitely, Jesus would talk to them about their lives. He would talk to them about their sin. He would talk to them about you know, this depravity that they're struggling with. But Jesus would eat with them. And the fact that Jesus would eat with prostitutes. He would eat with tax collectors. He would eat with sinners really bothered the Pharisees and the scribes. They just couldn't stand that because a religious man, a prophet, a leader, a rabbi, is not going to spend time with sinners. Only going to spend time with the good folks. And because of that spirit, because of that attitude, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep. And basically, the parable of the lost sheep says that the shepherd has a hundred sheep in his fold. He will leave the ninety-nine and search for the one that's lost. And then he tells about the lady that in, in her house. She's got ten coins. She loses one of her coins and she turns her house upside down to find the one coin. And then he tells a story of the waiting father or the prodigal son. And, and many people have said that this is one of the most beautiful stories in all the literature today. The prodigal son. I'm calling it today the waiting father. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me. Isn't that interesting how there's no dad? You know, been thinking a lot about this. I know this is probably not going to square well with you, but 
you know, I was wondering, I'm considered, now the gratitude of your heart, you've been so good to me, I just wondered if you might help me, I need to leave the farm. No, he just simply says, Father, give me. I think that's rude. I think that shows the heart of the son. And he says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Now, he's already said he's got two sons, an older son, and this is the younger son. In the Jewish custom, now, the older son, he is going to receive at his dad's death two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would receive one-third of the estate when the dad moves on. But the dad hears the son's request, and he is given one third of the estate. And it says, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Now next week we'll discover that the older son says, Dad, what in the world are you doing having a party for this younger son? He has dishonored our name. He has really made a mockery of us. And he's been out there, he spent all his money living it up on prostitutes and things like that. And so this guy, this younger son, he goes to this, this uh, foreign place, this place far away. And our way of thinking, he took the father's one third, he took the estate, and he went to Las Vegas. And he went to Las Vegas, and he threw parties, and he threw money around, and he gambled, and he lost, and he drank, and he would buy everyone a drink at the bar, and he, would, he was just living this wild, reckless life. And he lost everything. And just when he lost everything, a famine hit the land, and he was in a bad, bad place. Now, in my opinion, by looking at the Scripture, reckless living and having lots of money to do reckless living always generates a crowd. And you know if you're spending money at your party and you're spending money in the gambling hall and you're spending money on ladies, you're going to have some friends. People are going to follow you around. You're going to have a posse. And your posse's going to show up and they're going to keep on showing up that's human nature. They're going to keep on showing up as long as you still have money to spend. The famine hits. He's out of money. He hires out to go feed pigs, which is an interesting part of the story in the Jewish life, isn't it? Because that would be forbidden. That would be the lowest stoop that you can stoop to. I mean, he is way down. He is down on his luck. He has foolishly spent all his dad's money. He has dishonored his dad. He has mistreated his dad. He has dishonored the family name. He's a, he's a disappointment. I mean, he has no concern for his parents. He has no concern for his family. He has no concern for his upbringing. He has just squandered it all. And no one gives him anything. Where did all those friends go? 
I mean, he can't even get a little pig feed. Now, we don't know what they are feeding these pigs, but if you have fed pigs, I have fed pigs, I know what that's like. I have seen pigs eat. It's not pretty. It's not pretty how they eat, and it's not pretty what they eat. And you probably have noticed that every now and then you'll see a real old truck, a real brown GMC running around, and it's got one of those manual lifts on the back, and it's got 55-gallon barrels. And every now and then you'll see it go to a certain restaurant in a place. I've seen it behind R&K a few times. And, and they got a slop bucket in there, and, and somehow or another he's hired the, the, the restaurant to put all that slop. I guess you can still do that in these days with all the... Uh, he, uh, EPA rules or whatever those rules are for health. And they would put all this in a 55 gallon deal and he'd get there and win, sit it back in the deal. He's taking all the leftovers, all the slop. They put in all the leftover gravy, all the sausage, all the eggs, all the bread. They're putting all of this slop can and that fella is feeding pigs with it. And he's looking at all that slop. He's looking at all that pig food. The, the, the stuff that people spit out. The pork chop that they didn't like and they spit on the table. They put all that in. And he's watching those pigs eating all that slop and he's, he's lusting. He's craving after that pig slop. That's how bad it is for him. That's how low he has fallen. And there he is longing to be fed with the pig slop. And no one gives him anything. No one will help him out. Now, if you're wayward or prodigal, if you've got a wayward child or a prodigal, they need to feed pigs. They need to dig ditches. They need to build fence. They need to work hard because there's nothing better than coming to your senses than having to work really hard to eat. To work really hard to feed your stomach. It says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, that just means that he finally saw it. He didn't see it when he went and asked his dad for his money. He didn't see it when he went away. He didn't see it when he was squandering with reckless living. But now watching them pigs eat and not have anything to eat, starving out there, broken, dirty, just just probably considering what he had and what now he doesn't have, it says he came to himself, he came to his senses. The light went on. And he said, he reasoned within himself, and he's thinking this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Man, my, my dad's workers, my dad's day hands, my, my dad's hired folks, they eat better than I do now. I, I can't believe that I have stooped this much. He, and I, you know he regrets this horrible decision that he made. And he says, I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's right, he has. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He is right. He is no longer worthy to be called His Son. He does not deserve any help. He does not deserve anything from His Father. He took what His Father had worked for years for. He took all the labors of His Father and, and He squandered it, living for Himself. 
And he's right. And when he comes to a place and goes, man, I am so undeserving. I am not worthy to be called his son. He says, I'm going to go to him and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against God. I am not worthy to be your child. If, if you will just now no longer treat me like a son, but if you'll treat me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he arose, came to his father. That means he left for his father. Undeserving, broken, poor, bankrupt, contrite. His father saw him a long way off. What does that tell you? Well, I picture in my mind every single day the father's looking down that road. He went down that road. He left down that road. It makes sense. He's going to return down that road. And I can just see him out there with the hoe. I can see him out there when he's feeding the, the cows. I can see him when he's out there taking care of business. Every now and then he'd look up and he'd look down that road. Um, if there was a little hill, every single day, he probably spent hours walking up to the top of the crest of that hill and looking down that road. His father saw him and felt compassion. Felt compassion for him. It says, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now remember, Jesus is primary, primarily directing this parable at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes. And here he is describing a father's heart. He's describing a son that doesn't deserve well treatment. He's describing his son that squandered all his money. And he says, here's what you've got to understand about why I'm willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners. Why I'm willing to receive them. Why I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give of myself to them. Because it's the heart of our Father. While the Son was a long way off, the Father spotted Him, saw Him, and felt compassion. Didn't, didn't feel judgment like the Pharisees. Didn't feel disgust like the Pharisees. Didn't really even feel disappointment like the Pharisees. He, he, just, he just didn't look at the sinner coming back home, the prodigal son coming back home, and it doesn't even enter the picture here. He sees him, he has compassion for him, he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he kissed him. Man, before the son could say anything, the father broke the ice, bridged the gap, and welcomed his son home with love. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. But the father said to his servants, and so this is how I picture this going, the son with his head down, the son contrite, the son just repentive, the son just absolutely broken. 
He's looking down. I'm sure he can't even make eye contact with his dad. And his dad's already hugged him, kissed him, and just welcomed him with compassion. And the son can't even lift his eyes and look at his dad. And, and just the moment he says, Father, I have done wrong. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just one of your servants. If I could just be a servant again. If I could just live out in the bunkhouse. And if I can just work for you, and if I can just make enough money every single day or every week just to be able to feed myself, it would be, it'd be enough for what I've done. But the father immediately turned and looked at his servants and he said, quickly, bring out the best robe. Bring out the ring and put it on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. He didn't have shoes anymore. He's been walking all that way barefoot. He didn't have anything. Quickly, he says, the best robe, put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand, sonship. And put some shoes on his feet for goodness sakes. Let's take care of my son. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the Pharisee would have went, get away from here. You have, you have, you have taken the money that dad gave you and you spent it. You're, you're not right to be called a son. You're not part of us anymore. Just leave us be. Go on your way. But that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God to sinners. He welcomes them and He eats with them. And if there is repentance, He puts the robe on them. He puts the ring on their finger. And He gives them shoes to wear. He restores them. He reconciles them. The waiting Father. The waiting Father looks down the road waiting for the prodigal to come home. Now there's some lessons here in this story for dads. First lesson I want to bring out is this. He gave his younger son room to make mistakes. I don't think that's done much anymore. I, I think that parenting has has uh, taken a decline in some, in some ways. And it seems to me that today that dads are suffering with making everything okay for their children. And this dad knew his son. I, I reckon that this dad that Jesus is talking about in this story, he knew his son well enough to know that obviously his son wasn't ready to take one-third of the estate and leave with. It wasn't going to work out well. But perhaps the dad knew that he had taught that boy everything that boy was going to learn at home. He had done exhausted it all. Perhaps he saw the weaknesses in his son. Perhaps he saw the stubbornness. Perhaps he saw the waywardness in his son. 
And he knew that the goal was not the son would be good at 18, and the son would not be good at 25, but the son would be, be a productive man when he's 35. That's the goal. That when they turn 35, when they get older, they take responsibility and they handle things well and they live well. And perhaps that dad saw that if they kept on doing the way they're doing, the heart of this kid wasn't going to get any better. And he had to learn some lessons the hard way. Many people have to learn lessons the hard way. And dads, this dad, I think, recognized that. And he gave room for his younger child to make the mistakes that he needed to make to return to the right place he needed to return to. He just wasn't ready to go. He wasn't ready to go with all that money. But he let him go. I've read this. I've heard this said. I think this is a great statement and something for you to write down, put on your fridge or somewhere to be reminded every day, Dad. We either prepare the path for the child or the child for the path. And if we're always fixing stuff in our kids' lives, they're not going to be ready to leave. They're not going to make good choices when they leave. Because they've been used to you fixing everything for them. And we definitely have a fixing mentality today in parenting. And I think that's a good lesson for dads to learn from this. He gave his younger son room to make a mistake. The second thing, that it's really clear. He saw him coming a long way off. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him. He said to his servants, take care of my boy. Get the robe. Get the ring. Put the shoes on him. And by George, get that fattened calf. Let's, let's kill it. Let's get some brisket rolling, some T-bones going, some good ribeyes. We're going to party it up. Because my son was dead, he's alive, he was lost, and now he's found. How did he get there? Now, man, there, there is no way from an earthly sense that, that I can see any dad in this situation would not have hurt and would not have pain. Now, I struggle a little bit. I, quite, I can't quite understand about does God hurt? for us. He's God. He hurts. He has compassion for us. No question. But I'm not quite sure how that works. But I understand from a human perspective, from human reasoning, that dads hurt. Dads hurt when their kids are prodigals. Dads hurt when their kid blows a third of what he's worked for. You know, when this, this dad went to the coffee shop, people would say, where's Junior? Ah, oh, hadn't heard from him. Where is Junior at? What did he do? Uh, he, he left. Where, dude, how did he get the money to go? Well, I gave it to him. You did what? You gave that much money to that knucklehead? Yeah, I did. Why would you do that for? Well, I, I thought it was best for him. You, you can just... You know, when, when his dad would go to the, to the top of that hill and look down the road for his son to return, you know the dad hurt. He had pain. And dads often have pain. They have hurt. But here's the neat thing about the hurt here in the story. 
And this is something that every one of his dads really need to understand. And it only comes through the supernatural strength of the Lord, I'm here to tell you. That when you are hurting as a dad because of the decisions your children make, you can't allow the hurt to get in the way of love. Of love. And you know as well as I do, that it's hard sometimes to love when you're hurting. When you've been betrayed. When you've been disappointed. When you haven't been cared for. When your children do not respect you. When your children believe they know everything and they think that you're pretty much ignoramus. And they don't listen to you and they don't follow your guidance. I mean, there's, there's dads who are going to listen to this today, maybe in dads here, that, that you're going to go all day long wondering if your child is going to call you. And for some of you here today, they're not going to. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. If you just get a phone call, if you just get a card, just get some, some hint that they care. Dads often hurt. I, I guarantee you, this waiting dad, this waiting father, hurt with pain for his son. But when that moment came, when he laid eyes on his son, the hurt didn't get in the way of loving him. And if you're in this particular situation where your child is a prodigal, your child is distant. You're, you have a broken relationship with your child. Don't let hurt win out. The only way to reconcile that relationship, the only way it's going to be restored is if when love conquers the hurt that you have. Years ago, I was uh, out in a ranch in West Texas and, and this rancher was showing me around his place. I was preaching at their church for a revival and and I met him out there for lunch. And he wanted to show me his place. And he had a huge place. He ran lots of cattle out there. And he had feeder cows and, and range cows. And he showed me the, all the different pastures they had and, and the ponds they had and stuff like that. And then he took me over this hill. And there's this gigantic feeder lot. I mean, it's huge. It's one of those places where you smelled it before you saw it. And all you saw were cows for as far as you could see. It was, it was unbelievable. And when I saw that, I had to thought, this guy feeds Texas. These are a lot of cows right here. This is a lot of work. And he had lots of employees running around. And lots of trucks and lots of guys on horseback and moving those cows around the pens and, and big hoppers where they had all the feed and lots of hay around the place. It, I didn't realize he had that big of a place and that, that many cows in that feeder lot. And, and we pull up and he said, I want to show you this. And it was just like down in Fort Worth where you walk upstairs and you walk on top of the, the pens and you can go and you can see it all. It's really, really a cool place. And while we're there, a pickup drives up and he says, just a minute, i got to go talk to this fella. And so he goes down and, and I'm with earshot and I hear the conversation. The guy gets out of his truck, walks over to him, and it's all business. Did you order the feed? Did you take care of the sick cows? 
Did you fix the fence? Did we take care of this problem? You know, did you do this? Did you do that? The guy said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got all that done. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. He said, all right, keep it up. And he comes back. And we go down and get back in his truck. We're driving away. And, you know, I didn't really think much about that conversation he's had. And, and finally he says, that's my oldest son. I said, what? That's your oldest son? I didn't, know you, I didn't know you had an older son. I, I knew he had a younger son. I'd met him. That's your oldest son? He goes, yeah, we're not really on good terms. And as I thought about the conversation that he just had, that was not the business conversation between a dad and his son. It wasn't how you doing, how things going, how's the missus, how the kids, nothing like that. He said, yeah, we've been having trouble for years. He said, but man... You know, he's part of my family and, and he's going to work here and, and, you know, we just, we're only business. And I said, well, how did you get to this spot? And he said, he married poorly. He married poorly. Married a girl, I didn't want him to. Married a girl that had been married before. I didn't think it was a good thing to do and we just had words and it's just the way it is. And so, hurt got in the way of love. Hurt gets in the way of love. Now, this dad, this father, and you know as well as I do that when you look at this, Jesus is telling us clearly, this is this father's God. This is how He cares about us. His love is total and complete. No strings attached. The robe, the ring, the shoes, the fattened calf, the party. The father reconciled his son. The father restored his son into good standing with the father. He is the Father justified the Son as if He didn't go off and spend that money recklessly. That's the heart that God has for us. That's the love that God has for us. Dad's loving beyond the hurt is tough, but you need to love beyond the hurt. Dads, you need to be committed without strings attached to loving your children. No matter what they do, you need to love your children. You need to get tough in loving your kids. You need to love them no matter what. Dads, you need to love your kids like this even when you don't get your kids' approval. Even when you've got to be the dad in hard times. Even when you've got to stand up for what's right in some situations. And you have got to be a man that is willing to say things your kids don't want to hear when it's in your kids' best interest. You've got to be that kind of man. You've got to have that kind of love for your kids. You can't let them push you over. You can't be wishy-washy. You've got to have love that they can count on. That they can find refuge in the storms in their life. Each one of us is dads. We need to understand that 
the greatest gift that we can give our children is to love their mother with all of our heart and to love them totally and completely. Don't you want to be a waiting father? A waiting father. A father that no matter what is moved and compelled by the love of God. Help us, Father, to be the kind of dad you want us to be. Help us to lead well in our families. Help us, Lord, to guide. And Lord, help us to learn from the story of the waiting father today. In Jesus' name, amen.